down deep into the love of God, as Paul prayed in Ephesians, uh, that Christ would feel at home in your heart, that you would give him freedom to move around, and that you'd be able to comprehend with all the saints the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of God's love for you until you're filled up in, in all of his fullness. So you have to let your, your uh, roots go down into the, the uh, character, the nature, and so forth of, of God. And uh, sometimes we just want God to change our, our uh, circumstances. So we say, Lord, if you change my circumstances, uh, I'd be happy. Uh, sometimes he'd say to us, well, if you change your attitude, we'd both be happy. And um, sometimes we don't have a, a proper attitude on things. I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37. Um, <clears throat> Rafe was here earlier, he had a little girl in his hand named Princess. And uh, as you know, with Hands of Hope, we have 18 homes uh, for children through local churches that feed 1,800 kids. I love children. Uh, we came across a couple of things, you know, when you, when you talk to kids, they, they just blurt anything out. Do you know how it is? They, they just say it, and they make us laugh, and, and uh, those kind of things. Uh, Anita H. Nine was asked, is it better to be single or married? And uh, she replied, it's better for girls to be single but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> I guess that's true. Uh, little Ricky, age 10, was asked this question. How would you make a marriage work? He says, tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> that kid's got a, a career in politics ahead of him, I believe. Yeah. Um, Lynette, age 8, says, what, what do most people do on a date? Well, she says, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> and then there's a story of the little boy sitting on the front steps of his house with his, hand, with his uh, hands are cradled there, and his, his face, and he's looking sad and forlorn and despairing. And his dad comes home and says, Son, what's wrong? And the little guy looked up at him and said, Well, Dad, just between us, I'm having trouble getting along with your wife, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids, uh, kids, make us, kids make us laugh. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see, this little clicker here. If you remember, uh, some of you that were here about a year, a year and a half ago or so, I had six chairs up here, and I had a, a little, I revealed things one at a time. I started with creation, and then corruption, and then covenants, and then, and then Christ, and then the church, and then consummation and coming. And basically what I said is, uh, that's all there is to human history. That's all there is to life. That's what there is to this book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and at the end, He's going to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. He's going to restore at the end. And so you and I are living in what we would refer to as the church age. It's called the age of grace. And um, God has put within our hearts and within the church itself a purpose and passions and desires and so on. And so, really, for us as the body of Christ, our, our um, life goal should, should be that Jesus be known, that he be trusted, that he be loved, and that he 
may be revealed in you and in me by the very actions and attitudes and so forth of our lives. And so, even as our sister shared today, uh, one version says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we may be knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Huh? Sometimes we feel like we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We get back up again. And God is working in, in us. He's crushing us. That's what you do in a crucible. You crush the whatever it is, and whether it be grapes into wine or whatever else, God is at work in, in your life and in my life. And so, uh, the title of what I want to share with you today regarding uh, a story you've heard many, many times, the story of Joseph, actually 14 chapters from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 are, are about his life and, uh, well, his growing up and, and, and so on. And so, um, God's story, that's this, that's all there is to human history. And then God's dream in this particular case for Joseph, but for all of our lives, God has a plan and a dream. He doesn't do things haphazardly. And then your legacy. I'm in my 75th year. One of these days, this old heart will stop, and I'll stop breathing, and the life of Glenn is, is over. It's ended. I'm on the last chapter or conclusion or whatever it is of, of the life of Glenn. And uh, you're somewhere in between there. And all of us, I believe, want to have a lasting legacy. Don't you? Yeah. Not just with your own kids and grandkids and all that, but your life. And if you go into the ground and die, then you'll bring forth fruit. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24. And so, um, I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin here and talk a little bit about Joseph. Can you trust God in the details of your life. Maybe it would be better, will you trust God in the details of your life? And so, in Genesis chapter 37, what I would like to do is just to share with you um, God's faithfulness through Joseph's life in what I call a fractured, fallen world. And so in Genesis 37, Joseph is 17 years old. And uh, he has a dream. It's a God dream. God is at work in his life, in his family's life, despite all the dysfunction that was in his family. Uh, if you look in chapter 37, verse uh, 2, it says, These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when... 17 years of age was pasturing a flock. And then verse 3 says, And Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was a son of his old age and made a very colored tunic. Whenever there's favoritism in a family, you have the seeds of, of uh, disintegration in a family. And of course that was passed on down from, from uh, Isaac and Rebekah. Um, when they loved Esau and Jacob more, one than the other. And so uh, these things carry on down. And now Joseph is 17 years of age, and his brothers now, his 11 brothers knew that Joseph was loved more than the rest of them. Sad situation, but that's the way it was. And then if you look at verse 5, chapter 37, it says, Then Joseph had a dream. And when 
he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They hated him before, now they hate him more. And he relates this, this dream to them. And uh, if you know the story, uh, he has this dream and his brothers are one day going to come and they're going to bow down before him. they got to remember, there's no Bible that Joseph has to read. This is just in his relationship and so forth with God that was passed on down from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now down to him. And somehow in the midst of all this, God uh, became very, very real to him. And he gets his dream at 17. Some say he should not have related it to his brothers. Um, that's not anything I'm going to dwell on. He just had this dream and his brothers are going to come down and bow down. Then he has another dream. And now his father and mother are going to come and one day they're going to bow down before him. Joseph knows nothing about the providence of God and the sovereignty of God down the line. He doesn't know when this is going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. None of the details of it. Just knows that one day this, this is going to be it. And so we see that God has for each one of us, uh, and Joseph, uh, Joseph in this particular place, a, a clear sense of destiny. This is going to be his destiny. How it works out, he has absolutely no idea whatsoever, but it's going to take place. Now, the next thing that happens in his story, you know, he goes and, and uh, looks for his brothers, and his brothers find that he's out here, and, uh, you know, they want to kill him. And one of his brothers says, no, 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 so they throw him in a pit. So he goes from this dream, and now he's, he's in a pit. And uh, then some uh, people come along, some travelers, and going on down to Egypt, and they sell him into uh, slavery, and, and uh, down he goes. One day, people are going to bow down before him, his brothers, his father, and his mother, but he finds himself in a pit. What he prayed down there, how long he's in there, we do not know. But remember, God is going to crush, and God is going to mold, and God is going to shape us into a vessel that he can use for his honor and for his glory, that his name might be known throughout all the earth, that Yahweh uh, would be uh, worshipped and adored. The next thing we see in Joseph's life, if you look at chapter 39, many of you are familiar with the, the story of Joseph and the temptations that he faced in life, but uh, he had a relationship with God and he was he had a very keen sensitivity to sin. You know, whatever happened to sin these days? <laughs> uh, we don't talk too much about sin. We, we don't actually like the word and uh, transgressions and, and iniquities. We, we'd rather call them mistakes or, or failures, but, but, but not sin. If you look in chapter uh, 39... Uh, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, he was actually the captain of the bodyguard, and they brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph in the pit, and now the Lord is with Joseph in Potiphar's house. 
So he became a successful man. The scriptures tell us. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He, he knew how to come now under authority. It's very, very critical that all of us learn how to come under authority, especially under authority of, of God. Remember the centurion? And Jesus says, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. I say this one, go and he goes, come and he comes, do this, and he doesn't. The centurion understood that in the economy of God, that there is structure and that there is authority. And Jesus says, wow, this guy's just a centurion. I haven't found any faith like that in all of Israel. But God is in control of, of everything in this world that's going on. If you don't, if, if you don't think so, then you're biting your nails. And when we talk about cancers that need to be removed, there are cancers that need to be removed from us. Cancers of fear and anxiety and worry and all of these things. If those things there are not taken care of, they begin to grow. And those tumors become larger and larger and larger. And they begin to affect you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And those around you. In your life, if you let those things begin to grow. If you don't keep your immune system up. Spiritual immune system up. And so Joseph has a very keen sensitivity to, to uh, in his relationship with God. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. And he puts him over everything. The only thing that he couldn't have is Potiphar's wife. Now look at verse 6. The last part of it. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, it tells us. Verse 7 says, it came about after these events, his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. She's probably not an ugly duckling. She's Potiphar's wife. He's captain of the bodyguard. He probably had his pick of the litter, so to speak. I don't know. It's very enticing for a man and a woman because, hey, come lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has beheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So she spoke to Joseph day after day after day. Lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. There's a strategy. This is what you do with this kind of sexual temptation. He did not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. That was it. He had a keen sensitivity to sin. Susanna Wesley, who was the 27th of 27 children, raised um, 17 or 19 of her own, the two Wesley brothers. She wrote this regarding sin. Listen to this quote. This is the woman who pulled her dress up over the top of her when she had all these kids and would pray, and whenever that uh, dress was over her head, their children would not bother her, or something would happen. <laughs> she says this. Listen carefully. Whatever, this is not the Bible, it's just, just her. Whatever weakens your reasoning, got that? Weakens your reasoning? Impairs the tenderness of your conscience obscures your sense of God or takes away your relish for spiritual things. 
In short, if anything increases the authority and power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin, however good it is in itself. Remember, to him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So we want to stay always in our relationship sensitive to the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is to make us holy. That's His work. That's what He does. That's why He came to do the changes from the inside out. You know, an iceberg. Got an iceberg up here. More of the ice. Whatever's showing at the top, there's more beneath the surface. That's what happened with the Titanic. And God's more interested in what's below the surface of your life, or below, underneath, here, than the outside. He's interested in that you and me. He's working down there in the intercesses of our heart and our mind, our emotions, and all of that. So he says, no. There's, there's no way, shape, or form I'm going to, to get in. And so he becomes the first streaker. She grabs him one day, and boom, he's, he leaves. And then, you know, the false accusations and so forth that come about. And so in Joseph's life, what happens? Because of a commitment to moral purity, he's thrown in jail. Where's God? Lord, you say people are going to come, brothers and sisters, father, mother, and bow down before me. I've been in a pit, and I was in Potiphar's house, and man, you made me successful there, but, but now I'm in, in prison. God's at work. And uh, he's working to change him, and he's giving him, as you can see here, an ability to endure injustice. Lord, save me when I was 30. I've been in ministry for over 40 years. I've had some injustices in the body of Christ. So do you. We've all hurt people, haven't we? We've all endured certain injustices against us and we against others, unfortunately. And there's where there needs to be forgiveness and healing, where we humble ourselves before God and before people. Instead of becoming proud and arrogant and so forth, we, we want to be like children. That's the only way to get into the kingdom, is like a child. And that's how we're to live in the kingdom of God, like a child, dependent upon Him, teachable every single day, no matter how old you might be. And so he had an ability to endure injustice, and then if you look in chapter 40, you don't have time to get all over all this, I'm just sharing eight points regarding God's dream for Joseph's life and God's sovereignty and providence in it all, that you can trust him in the details of your life. You don't know what he's up to in all those details, but I can guarantee you he's at work. He never stops working. He says in John chapter 8, the Father is working until now, and I'm working. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but he's at work in your life. Isn't that good news? We have good news. <laughs> we have great news. We have the gospel. We have the only message that changes the heart from a depraved sinner who's lost in the kingdom of darkness into message of hope, healing, forgiveness, salvation that we have in the gospel. And we've been entrusted with this. I hope you talk to people about this. Not just good news, great news. 
that you and I have to share with the people. And so we see that there is a submission to God's will into all this. There he is in prison. We don't know exactly how long he ended up in prison. He had a dream at what age? 17. He's going to get to the palace. And somewhere between 13 to 17 years before he ends up in the palace. So there's, uh, he's 17, maybe double his age. That's when it actually comes to pass. And so there's a 17-year crushing that he's going through, where God is shaping his character and changing him. He, he, he's going to be second in all of Egypt in command there. And so he submits to God's will. And he knows God's at work. And he interprets the dream of there's there's the cupbearer and the baker and so forth and they have a dream and he interprets both of them and you remember one uh, man, he, he, he's out cold he, he's knocked down and he's knocked out you know, he loses his head I guess, I think it was and the other one's elevated back up and there's Joseph in the prison, and while he's in prison everything he touches prospers in fact, the jailkeeper puts Joseph in charge of the whole jail. He was in a pit. Then he's in Potiphar's house. Then he's in prison. Now he's in charge, just like he was in Potiphar's house. Now he's in charge of the whole prison. And I think probably if we could look back in there, he had, he had an opportunity to share with all those prisoners that were there about Yahweh. About his God, although Yahweh, that wasn't, doesn't come until later in Exodus. But his God. And all throughout this we see an awareness of God's presence. And so Pharaoh has a dream. Do you remember that? Nobody can interpret it. And uh, Cupbearer says, hey look, there's this guy in prison. He interpreted our dream. It came out exactly. Well, go get the guy. So they go and they get this guy, Joseph, and Joseph is there. And uh, Pharaoh had this dream, you know, the, the seven fat cows for seven years, and then the, the lean cows and all of that like that. Nobody can interpret it, so they go get Joseph. And Joseph says, it is not in me to interpret this dream, but God will give you an answer. He took nothing for himself. Only that there is a God in heaven who not only gives dreams, but who fulfills those dreams and can interpret all of those dreams. And so he shares it with Pharaoh. Pharaoh then after that has no one else. Seven good years, store up. Seven lean years, and so on. And so he puts Joseph in charge. The dream, the pit, the prison. Now he's in the palace. And Joseph, all during his time, has seen God's hand and he sees him prosper despite all the trials and the tribulations and the storms that he's been going through. And remember, proven character comes through a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I've coached basketball for 30 years. You don't make a ball player in two weeks. You make a ball player over time practicing all of the different fundamentals 
They have to come under the training and authority of a coach to be able to reach their potential. And for you and for me, if we come under the control and the sovereignty of God, and we <laughs> surrender? I have in, in the very first page of, of my, uh, that I've written anything down in my Bible, right here, I, I have the sweetness of glad surrender. God loves it when you surrender all. So at 30 years of age, I surrendered my two little kids. They were one and three. I said, Lord, they're yours. My wife, Patty, she's yours. He changed my parenting. He changed my marriage. He did it. God was at work, having mercy on my sin-sick soul and on my life. And I've seen, I did a sermon one time when we were missionaries in the Philippines. I heard a song. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way for the hand of God in all my life I see. And the reason of my bliss, yes, the secret, all is this, that the Comforter abides in me. He abides. He abides. Hallelujah, He abides in me. And I put together a message of God's hand in my life that I could look back and I could see, even before as a believer, as a farm boy, mom and dad, my three sisters. God's hand preparing me and then pulling me out of the pit I was in. And then since then, to be able to see God's hand. That was 1983 or 84. A few years have passed since then. Seeing God's hand, God's hand, God's hand, God's hand. Sometimes it's a hand of gentle discipline. Sometimes it's maybe not quite so gentle. But he's at work in your life and in my life. And Joseph has a keen sense of God's presence everywhere he goes. Then he has a, a trust in God's sovereignty. Look at, look at verse uh, um, chapter 45. And you look at verse, I think it's verse 4 that's there, 45. Joseph, his brothers now, come on down and uh, they have to bow themselves down before him. They don't know who he is. He's dressed like an Egyptian. Okay? Things have changed. It's been 17 years. Joseph's countenance and everything else probably has changed a whole lot. It just as he grew and matured and so forth. He's not a teenager anymore. He's now an adult. And uh, then Joseph, verse 4, says to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came close and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Maybe they remembered the dream 17 plus or more years ago. Hey, hey, here we are. And they're all bowing down before him just as God had revealed to him. And now he says this. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. He's going to say a little bit later, you meant evil against me, God meant it for good. And you can see God's hand in every single turn. He had a trust in God's sovereignty. If there's one thing in my 44 years of, of my journey with God, I like to say it was always like, like this, but... You know, it's not like that. There's uphills and downhills and there's, you know, 
cliffs and guardrails and different things that you have. But if there's one thing that's helping more that I've, that I've grown in is deepening myself in, in the scriptures. I've read through this book at least 44 times, the New Testament hundreds of times. The Gospels even more than that. I read three chapters in the Gospels every day. I take you through the Gospels once every month. I want to know what my rabbi is like, my teacher is like. I can follow him and fall in love with him at deeper levels. It's been the sovereignty of God that God is in control. I bring you greetings from President Trump. <laughs> God is in control. Do I understand it all? No. Do I listen to every tweet? No. Do you have to? The kings? Who, who is Mugabe anyway? Who's Trump anyway? Who's Obama anyway? Who's Putin anyway? The hearts of the kings, presidents, uh, dictators? Who is Kim anyway? They're like channels of water in the hands of God. If we have to worry about what's going to happen between North Korea and the U.S. and all this stuff that's going on, that's going on in Syria, and all, man, you, you lose heart. You've got to keep your eyes on the sovereignty of God. God knows. And the history is winding down. And if you read this book correctly, things aren't going to get better. Sorry to tell you that. Huh? No. It's coming to an end, just like he told us to. Jesus talks so much about it. And so we trust him. The sovereignty of God and all of what he does. And then you see this, uh, look at the end of the last uh, chapter of Genesis. Jacob's dead. His brothers now still think he's going to get even. He's going to hammer us. We threw him in the pit. And he, he weeps as he, his brothers have not been able to understand the forgiveness that he has given to them. They beg him, beg, please forgive us, please forgive us. He already did that in chapter 45. But here they come again because of the guilt that they had over them. Look at verse 18 of chapter 20, 50. Then his brothers came and fell down before him. Here they are again fallen down before. Behold, we are your servants. Now Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? And that's the last thing I share with you. Joseph refused to play God. You know your number one problem? You. You want to be in control. What was Adam and Eve's? What happened? What was their number one problem? They wanted to be in control. The devil didn't say, hey, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like me. No, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. And so they took control. And that's your problem, my problem. If you have a problem with your wife, if you've got a problem with your children, if you've got a problem with your employer, if you've got a problem with people in the church, guess what the common denominator is in all those? It's you. It's me. We can point our fingers. 
no, no, no. We've got to face the truth. The truth is hard to take. He refuses to play God. He's a willingness to forgive. Look at verse 50. This is a verse I've memorized years and years ago, over 40 years ago. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to preserve, bring about this present result and preserve many people alive. That was God's thing. Both sides of that are true. You meant evil. True? They did. They wanted to kill him. God meant it for good. True? Yeah. There are evil things in this world, and in the midst of all that, God is at work. God meant it for good. God was orchestrating all of this out. And he put the guy he wanted in charge to preserve life. If he hadn't, people would have starved to death during all of that famine. They had this line of plenty and they wouldn't have stored anything up and they ate it all and gorged themselves and boom, then there's seven years and that's what happened. Can you trust God in the details of your life? Their motives are bad, God's was good. Listen to this. You talk about timing. At the right moment, his brothers threw him into the cistern, into the pit. At the right moment, the Midianites came along. At the right moment, he was sold to Potiphar. At the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. At the right moment, he met the baker and the cupbearer. At the right moment, the cupbearer and remembered Joseph. At the right time, Pharaoh called for him. At the right time, he was promoted to prime minister. At the right time, Jacob sent his brothers to Egypt. At the right time, the brothers met Jacob. Jacob's family at the right time moved to Egypt. Pharaoh offered them the land of Goshen at exactly the right time. And at that moment they settled there and they prospered. Everything happened according to God's timing. God is on time and he has a timetable for all of human history. It is winding down. It's coming to the end. We've read the last chapter. We know how it's turning out. So we trust by faith. It's God's story. It's God's dream. And it's your legacy, my legacy. We have 70 years, or if due to strength, 80. Some live a little bit longer. But our life is over. That's it. This is our time to trust. This is our time to live it up. It's our time to trust the God in the details of life. Big picture, it's all about God and His story and His dream for the world. Aren't you glad it's at work? Now, I close with a little reading. We sing this little song tonight. All to Jesus I surrender. Yep. Nice to sing. Easy to sing. All to Him I freely freely give. Have you? Freely give all to Jesus. Once upon a time, in the heart of the Western Kingdom, there lay a beautiful garden. And there, in the cool of the day, the master of the garden went to walk. 
Of all the dwellers in the garden, the most beautiful and beloved was the noble bamboo tree. Year after year, bamboo grew more noble, more gracious, conscious of his master's love and watchful delight. One day, the master drew near to the beloved tree and said, Bamboo, I'm going to use you. And it seemed for the bamboo tree the day of all days, the day for which he had been made. Bamboo's voice came low, Master, I'm ready. Use me as you wish. Bamboo, the master's voice was grave. I must take you and cut you down. Cut me down? Whom you, master, made the most beautiful in your garden, cut me down? Beloved Bamboo, the master's voice grew graver still. If I do not cut you down, I can't use you. The garden grew still. The wind held its breath. Bamboo slowly bent his glorious head, and there came a whisper. Master, if you cannot use me unless you cut me down, then do your will and cut. Beloved Bamboo, I must cut your leaves and your branches from you as well. Master, please spare me. Let my beauty lay in the dust, but would you take my leaves and branches also? Unless I cut them away, I can't use you. The sun hit its face, a butterfly flew away, and bamboo shivered in expectancy, whispering low, Master, cut away. Bamboo, I would divide you in two and cut out your heart, for if I do not, I can't use you. And Bamboo bowed to the ground and said, Master, then divide and cut. So the master of the garden cut down Bamboo, hacked off his branches, stripped off his leaves, divided him in two, and cut out his heart. And then carried him to where there was a spring of fresh, sparkling water in the midst of the master's dry fields. And putting one of broken bamboo into the spring and the other into the water channel in his field, the master gently laid down his beloved tree. And the spring sang welcome, and the clear sparkling waters raced through joyously down the channel of bamboo's torn body into the waiting fields. And then the rice was planted, and the days went by, and the shoots grew, and the harvest What's the name of this church? <laughs> the harvest came. Now listen carefully. In that day, bamboo, once so glorious, was truly put to use in his brokenness and humility. For in his beauty, he had abundant life for himself. But in his brokenness, he became a channel of abundant life to his master's world. And friends, brothers and sisters, that's who we are. The light of the world, the salt of the earth, bringing fresh, living water, life and hope. Here in Harare, in Zimbabwe, in Africa, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And if you look, my last little slide is this. Joseph, by God's grace, overcame treachery, temptation, 
disillusionment, success, and bitterness. Faced any of those in your journey so far? We can overcome because one has overcome. And we trust Him. So Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here today, all of those at Harvest, all of those that are traveling on vacation with family and friends. We're just glad because you've made us glad about what you've done, who you are, what you've promised, what you're doing in every single one of our lives. And you want to make us fruitful. And we know that growth and fruit comes from health. And may our roots go down deep into the promises of God, your promises. They're precious. They're magnificent. So Lord, would you bless us, keep us, cause your face to shine upon us, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, give us your peace.